I'm on my way. I'm on my way. Home sweet home. Tonight, tonight, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. Home sweet Warning, this podcast contains graphic material that may be unsuitable for children under 18. Parental guidance and listener caution. The penalty phase in the trial of a man found guilty in a double murder continues this week. Clifford Wright faces the death penalty after being found guilty of killing his ex-girlfriend Tammy Gardner and her boyfriend Gabrielle Gabrielli in July of 2006. Wright allegedly stalked Gardner for days before breaking into her Pike Creek home and murdering the couple. Prosecutors say he then stole a minivan and torched it in this park with the bodies inside. Wright's attorneys asked the jury to consider his difficult childhood, which included an abusive father and an alcoholic mother. Prosecutors say in asking for the death penalty, Wright's penalty should match his crimes. The jury will give their recommendation to the Superior Court judge, who has the final say in sentencing. Hello, true crime lovers. Hope you're having a wonderful Monday. Our case today focuses on stalking and domestic violence. I hope it helps you understand why we must have much more help for the victims in this country. Here we go. We will start with focusing on the victims in this case. Tamala Gardner, Tammy, was a lifelong resident of Wilmington, Delaware. On July 16th, 1965 at St. Francis Hospital, which was located only a few blocks from their family home at West 7th Street in Wilmington, Tammy's parents were Martin and Geraldine Creer. She was an absolute blessing to her parents. Eventually, Tammy had two wonderful children she was dedicated and devoted to, Meredith Lillian Gardner and Kyle Robert Gardner. She was also close with her ex-husband of two years, Scott Gardner. They had a one they had a wonderful best friend co-parenting relationship. In addition to her children, Scott was devastated by Tammy's passing and even had to be put on antidepressants. Even though their marriage did not work, they were devoted to each other and still loved each other, being both amazing parents. When the kids were younger and for a decade, Tammy provided an immaculate child care-centered environment for her children, as well as many children at Tammy's TLC home daycare and tutor time. This was mostly because she wanted to have flexibility in her schedule so she could be more available to her own children while she was raising them. Past mothers who used her daycare said that Tammy treated their own children like they would treat them themselves as their children's mother. They could always breathe easy knowing their kids were being loved, safe, and thoroughly cared by Tammy. These mothers felt blessed to have someone like Tammy watching over their children.
In 2013, in a Victim's Voices Heard newsletter, a 19-year-old Meredith, Tammy's daughter, who was only 12 when she lost her mother, is quoted as saying, Clifford Wright, still to this day, won't take responsibility for killing my mother and Gabe in 2006. Being only 12, I did not really understand what was going on. All I knew was even though I had my dad, I really needed my mom in my life. But Clifford Wright had sadly stolen that away from me for the last seven years. Now on to the other victim. Gabe Gabrielli, age 41. Gabe worked as an auto body shop manager in PA and in Delaware. He enjoyed soccer as a player and as a coach. He was a talented guitar player, singer, and songwriter. And in his younger years, before kids, he was in the ba- was in a band. Gabe had four sons: Corey, Julian, Adrian, Brendan, and one daughter, Estella. He was close with his ex-wife Diane, like Tammy was with her ex-husband Scott. Also like Tammy, he was a supportive, loving, and dedicated parent. He was a coach of his five boys' soccer teams and even his one daughter Estella's soccer team. He played competitive soccer himself in high school and various sub-teams throughout his life and even up to the time of his death. He was considered by family and friends as the ultimate soccer dad. Eventually, after their grief, his five children would state, my dad was the rock of us kids and the family. He did not love technology, but our dad was the first one to buy himself, us five kids, and even my mom cell phones, so we could, we kids, also my mom, could get a hold of him 24-7 if we needed anything or to be picked up or even advice. Even though... He had split custody of us. He wanted to be present in our family's life. Though our mom and him were divorced, he still cared for her and loved our mother and wanted to be available to her regardless of their divorce. He was the go-to for us kids. If we had an issue or needed anything, we called my dad. He was available to us 24-7. We lost our rock and our go-to dad. It was so painful not having him there anymore, and it cut like a knife. Even for my mom, Diane, who lost her best friend, we were all devastated. Now on to the details of the case. In June of 2006, defendant Clifford Wright resided with his girlfriend, Tammy Gardner, and her two children at Tammy's home in Wood Creek Development of Wilmington. Wright and Tammy had a contentious relationship. Her children testified they argued regularly and that Tammy repeatedly threw Wright out of his home, out of her home, I'm sorry, out of her home. On Saturday, July 2006, Miss Gardner and Wright again argued. Miss Gardner took her children to a friend's pool party and told Wright to remove his belongings and move out of the house before they returned. 
Ray told a friend, Raheem Cannon, that he went by the pool party to watch Tammy, an attempt to win her her favor. Wright repeatedly began to call Tammy between 7.15 p.m. and 2.30 a.m. Wright called Tammy's cell phone 35 times that night. The same night, Wright began sleeping at Raheem Cannon's home. The following day, the phone calls continued between 7.34 and 9.28 p.m. Ray called 25 times. Frightening and, up, and upset by the repeated fan calls, Tammy put Ray's clothing in bags and left them on the porch. On Monday, July 3rd, Ray called Tammy 32 times. On July 4th, 2006, Tammy took her children to a friend's home for a barbecue. Wright, with Tammy's permission, borrowed her motorcycle. Wright returned the motorcycle at 7.30 p.m. like Tammy asked, but a half an hour later, Wright returned. As he and a friend drove past the house, Wright yelled, Crack whore! out of the window. There was absolutely no evidence that Tammy ever did drugs or was ever promiscuous in any way. Wright's friend, Sheila Saxton, testified that Wright insisted that Miss Gardner was inside with another man to try to justify his inappropriate behavior. On that day, Wright called Miss Tammy 48 times. The following day, Wright returned to Tammy's home to retrieve a bottle of cologne. Tammy attempted to leave the bottle outside for Wright, but he insisted on seeing her. As they spoke on the driveway, Miss Gardner informed Wright that she had decided to sever all ties with him. Later that night, angered by his by her decision, Wright searched for her and found Miss Gardner at the Good Chap Bar in Wilmington. From the parking lot, Wright watched Tammy and Gabe in the bar for over three hours. Then Wright, in his attempt to get back at being with at Tammy being with Gabe, called the Newcastle County Police Department and reported that drug sales were occurring at the Good Shop Bar. Then he called Tammy's ex-husband, Scott Gardner, and told him that Tammy was an unfit mother and that she was using drugs, which Scott knew was 100% untrue, and hung up on Wright. To draw her out of the bar, Ray called Mrs. Gardner 43 times, Tammy Gardner, 43 times, and left a series of both threatening and pleading voicemails. On one of the voicemails, Ray told her, you played with the wrong person. You got me mean, and there's no stopping the harm I can do to you. Alarmed by Ray's messages, Tammy called her ex-husband, Scott, who advised her to call the police. Around 3.30 in the morning, Newcastle County police officers arrived at the Good Shop Bar and arrested Wright for aggravated harassment. On July 6th, the morning after his arrest, after being released from custody at 6 a.m., Wright waited outside Tammy's development. As her ex-husband, Scott Gardner, left the development in the morning, after leaving his children with Tammy, Wright stopped him. Wright asked Scott to take custody of the children, children, again stating that Miss Gardner was a bad mother and all drugs. Scott confronted Wright angrily, telling him to leave Tammy and his family alone 
Bright, frightened, drove off. That same day, Tammy took her children to the Crossroad restaurants. As they were eating, they noticed Wright's car drive by the diner. Tammy's daughter testified in court. She also said her mother was scared, shaken, and felt like she was being stalked. That night, Tammy asked Scott to take the children because she was worried for their safety. <clears throat> On Friday, July 7th, Wright called Tammy's current employer. Using her middle, his middle name, Wright told Tammy's supervisor, Candy Hager, that Tammy was using drugs. When notified, when notified about the phone call, Tammy became hysterical and told Miss Hager about her situation. Candy testified that when they left work that night, Tammy was still shaken and was afraid that something was going to happen to her. On Saturday, July 8th, 2006, the children left their mother's home to stay with their father. The children and Scott never guessed that this was the last time they would see her as they said goodbye to their mother. After the children left, Tammy asked a neighbor to watch for Wright and to call the police if he came to the house. Later that night, Tammy met Gabe and her mutual friend, Kelly Culpepper, for drinks at the Good Shot Bar. The three eventually returned to Tammy's home. Kelly left Tammy's at 1.30 a.m., saying her goodbyes to Tammy and Gabe. Kelly was the last person to see Tammy and Gabe alive. Now we will stop for a short advertisement break. Hello, Delaware Crime listeners. This is Nikki, and I have something very exciting to tell you about. I have the security system. It, it is just absolutely wonderful. After looking and using and uh, trying different systems that just didn't work, uh, there's finally a security company I feel safe using called Simply Safe. And I have to tell you, the name is just as good as the product. You are simply safe. It, it's like actually like a blanket for your home with 24-7 security. It, it's wireless, comprehensive, and I'm going to tell you something. It is so easy to install. I mean, other security systems I have tried, I have to end up throwing them against the wall because they're just, I can't get it to work or they malfunction, or have to change the battery, or something, the internet goes crazy. So, this is just a wide range of high-tech cameras and sensors for your whole home, from break-ins, fires, and floods, and more. And, and it's just, it's only like $15 a month, people. I mean, and the setup is so easy. Simply safe can set up in just a few minutes, no drilling or tools. You just plug it in, and then you're done. And it's twice secured. They doubled down with a built-in cellular, built cellular connection. That means that you don't even have to 
connected to the your wireless or whatever then it reinforces the wi-fi so it like talks to your wi-fi without you having to type in your code or whatever it's a long range longer life the sensors have huge range while conserving power so you rarely need to change the battery and let me tell you it's high quality built to last simply safe automatically updates so you will always have the latest and best technology I mean, to tell you, I have Simply Safe with my family, and I have never felt safer in my life. It is just absolutely awesome, and it's no, no wires, no uh, taking your doorbell apart or whatever you have to do to get it to work. It is just absolutely wonderful, and the customer service is just amazing. And then you also get the added security. It's only fifteen dollars a month for your security. I mean, that's like nothing. That's I I spend that five minutes in the grocery store. Okay, it's unbelievable, and the whole system itself, the purchase of it is so, and so, so cheap. I mean, it's affordable if anything, and you can get as many pieces as you want. If you don't want this, you know they don't. You can't just you know buy this and then that's that's it. You you can you have as many parts as you want. Uh, whatever. It's just so, you know, they work with you. You can go on the website and actually pick the things that you think you need. So you, you know, or you can just buy the whole system and it's so affordable. So I wanted to tell you if you are interested in Simply Safe and looking at their products, because I can tell you, you will not go wrong. Please go to Simply safe and that's s-i-m-p-l-y s-a-a i'm sorry s-a-f-e dot com slash meet the system that's simply safe s-i-p-l-i s-a-f-e slash meet the system dot com and if you mention Delaware Crime, okay, you will get a 10% discount. That, again, is if you, you, you mention Delaware Crime, you get the 10% discount. And so I'm, that's how confident I feel about it. So please, please go on the website and look at Simply Safe. And you'll be just so, if you don't feel confident with your you know, security system now, go and look at Simply Safe, and you will never have any doubts about your security system. Trust me. Thank you. Wright spent the night at a different bar, Tailgates Bar, delivering cocaine for Raheem Cannon. At 1 a.m., Wright informed Cannon that he could not find any more customers. He asked Cannon to buy him a pack of cigarettes and bring them to Tailgate's bar. Cannon agreed to do so, but when he arrived at Tailgate's around 1.45 a.m., he could not locate Wright or his van. The specifics sequence of the following events is not entirely known. Wright stated that 
to the Newcastle County Police that after he left the tailgate bar at 1.45 a.m., he returned to Raheem Cannon's home at 2.10 a.m. However, Wright's cell phone records and Cannon's testimony contradict Wright's account. While Wright claimed he went to Cannon's home, his cell phone records showed that he was traveling away from Cannon's home and toward Tammy Gardner's house. Cannon testified that after looking for Wright at tailgate bars, he tried calling Wright and he could not get a hold of him. He then returned to his house and placed the unpacked, unopened pack of cigarettes on Wright's pillow. Mr. Cannon testified that Wright did not return to Cannon's home that night. At trial, a former cellmate of Wright's testified that while in prison, Wright remarked that before Tammy kicked him out, he had left a basement window cover unlocked after he had cleaned it. Following the murder, the police found a nine-inch cut on one of the basement window screens. Wright also had entry into the house through an upstairs window, which Tammy's son testified would not lock properly. Additionally, Wright, at one time, had access to a remote control garage opener, which was never found. Using one of these points of entry, Wright snuck into Miss Gardner's home. Once inside, Wright crept to the stairs where Tammy and Gabe were sleeping. He then began to beat the pair with either a baseball bat or hammer. He continued to beat them until they both suffered fatal injuries. Delaware's assistant medical examiner, Dr. Vershawski, testified that Gabe suffered at least 11 injuries to his head and Tammy suffered at least 8 injuries to her head. Neither of the victims displayed any defensive wounds. She stated that both Gabe and Tammy were hit with enough force to expose brain matter, stating also that from the force required to cause such trauma, and the absence of defensive wounds, it was likely neither. It was likely that neither gained consciousness before they were killed. Following the murders, Wright attempted to clean the room and dispose of the bodies. He used a scrub brush, a bottle of window cleaner, and a vacuum cleaner, and bleach to remove blood stains from the bed, carpet, mirror, and wall. He remade Tammy's bed using fresh sheets from an adjacent room. Right then, stuffed the bloody linens and blankets into garbage bags. He cut sections out of a out of the bloody mattress and replaced them with a foam egg crate to preserve the illusion of an undamaged bed. Wright eventually dragged the bodies downstairs and placed them along a bag of bloody bedding and and a gasoline container. In Miss in Tammy Gardner's van, the back seat had been removed from the van. He then drove the van to Tweeds Park in Hocassin and tried to set it on fire. According to Rape's former cellmate's testimony, Rape also took with him Tammy's daughter's bicycle for the ride back. On July 13, 2006, construction workers found a partially burned van in Tweeds Park and notified the Newcastle County Police. Inside the van, the police found the bodies of Tammy and Gabe, as well as the bag of bedding, the gas container, and the cleaning supplies. The fire had 
badly burned the bodies, but thankfully for the police, the fire had extinguished itself due to the lack of air. Following an investigation, Wright was arrested and charged with the murder of both Tamela Gardner and Gabriel Gabrielli. After deliberating for three days, a superior court jury convicted Clifford Wright of two counts of first-degree murder. On December 10th, following a penalty hearing and one day of deliberation, the jury unanimously, unanimously recommended the death penalty on each of two counts of first-degree murder. Wright's adult criminal record begins in 1988 when he was arrested for felony theft of a car. Another arrest, another arrest for theft followed in 1989. In 1990, he was convicted of financial card fraud. Wright burglarized his brother's home and stole jewelry belonging to the mother of his sister-in-law. In order to evade charges of driving without a lace insurance, Wright, Wright impersonated his brother, and when stopped by the police, Wright's records impersonated brother when stopped by the police. Wright's records also included a 2003 conviction for burglary, second degree, a 2004 conviction for criminal impersonation, as well as convictions relating to the harassment abuse of women who were unfortunate enough, were, who were unfortunate enough to cross his path. The evidence clearly demonstrated that throughout the relevant time period, Wright abused cocaine and other illegal substances. Wright's crimes are horrifying and gruesome. It is undisputed that Wright had a very difficult childhood. In 1999, Wright married. Wright repeatedly beat his stepdaughter. When the stepdaughter was 15, Wright, Wright raped her using a hairbrush and a screwdriver. Wright also physically abused his wife. When his wife ended the relationship, Wright harassed and threatened her. Wright then met another woman, girlfriend one, at Tailgate's Bar in the fall of 2001. Wright moved into the home of girlfriend one and her two children. Girlfriend one was frightened when she heard Wright's angry teleconversation with his ex-wife. When, when girlfriend one at Girlfriend one attempted to terminate the relationship and asked him to leave. Wright tried to break into her home. After she called the police, Wright blocked her car into a parking lot of a bar. A new contact order was issued against Wright. Wright ignored the order and repeatedly called and harassed girlfriend one. In retaliation, Wright called the police, claiming the girlfriend one was harassing him. Wright was arrested for harassment and criminal contempt of the new contact order. Wright also met girlfriend two at tailgate bars. He moved in with her and her children in March of 2002. Wright again demonstrated uncontrolled jealousy. He confronted girlfriend two at a banquet hall demanding that she leave her friends and come with him. Girlfriend too threw him out of her home and asked for her key back. Wright subsequently was confined in a work release program. Girlfriend too visited Wright to make sure he understood that the relationship was over. Speaking through a fence, Wright became enraged, climbed on the fence, and tore at her clothing. He screamed at girlfriend too that he had two guns and knew how to use them. Upon his release, 
he was released, which doesn't make any sense. Upon his release, Wright broke into the girlfriend two's home using a key he had made for himself. Girlfriend two hid her in her daughter's room and called the police. A new contact order was issued, and Wright was convicted of criminal trespass, first degree. Once again, Wright met girlfriend three at Tailgate's bar. Boy, he gets, gets around this guy. Wright moved into her home with her children. Shortly after, in March 2003, when Wright saw girlfriend three get into a truck with another man, Wright chased, Wright chased them down and demanded she get into Wright's vehicle. Wright grabbed girlfriend three by the shirt and told her she belonged to him. He became physically blind, slamming her against a wall when they arrived home. When girlfriend three ended their relationship a few months after it began, Wright did not go peacefully. He made harassing calls and stalked her at night outside her bedroom window. When questioned by the police, Wright stated that his car coincidentally broke down in girlfriend three's neighborhood. A third new contact order was issued in three years, and Wright was arrested for harassment. In the summer of 2003, Girlfriend 2 gave Wright a second chance. However, Wright had not taken advantage of his court-ordered domestic violence counseling to alter his behavior. Wright again became violent with Girlfriend 2, and she ended the relationship. As with the others, Wright denigrated Girlfriend 2 in public. Wright met Tamla Gardner at Calgate's bar. Tammy Gardner's children pointly testified about the effect their mother's murder had on their lives. Even though the children have the strong and steady support of their father and other family members, their loss is devastating and they will be forever scarred. The court also heard heart-wrenching testimony about the effects of Gabe Gabrielli's slaying on his children. Gabe's family has suffered suffered great loss of a father. Mr. Gabrielli's own father has lost his son. It is abundantly clear that Wright, if that if Wright had not been incarcerated for these murders, he would that incarcerated for these murders, he would have continued into his into his terrible killing sociopath pattern. Wright identified and targeted women who would allow him to take advantage of their hospitality and feed his illusion that he was the head of the household. He failed to exercise control of his violent impulses. When he did not get his way, he resorted to physical violence and became a rage when these women wanted their lives back. So Wright was allowed to address the court and the devastated family members of Gardner and Gabrielli. Gabrielli. And uh, most people felt in the courtroom um, that this was just the way he said it, that it was 100% ungenuine. For the, and this is what he said. For the record, my name is Clifford Wright Sr. I'm the defendant in the trial. I would like to take the time today to make statements to the Gardner and Gabrielli families, as well as my family, and to you, the jury, to plead for my life. Life is a terrible thing to waste and take. 
why you asked me today, I still ask myself that same question. I take the time today to address the families of Tamla Gardner and Gabe Gabrielli. First, I start with Tammy. She was very, a very loving mother. Her kids were everything to her. And I'm sorry. Look at the kids. No mom. No mother. Look at her family. The sister that's gone. I've, I've known you. I've spoke with you. God bless you all. And I have prayed for you every day. Next to them, the Gabrielli families found. Next to them, the Gabrielli's five for children. From what I've heard in the courtroom for the first time, with stories about Gabe. He's a man of music. He's like my father. My father is a man of music. I understand where it comes from. I'm sorry for your loss and your pain and suffering. His father had been through been here through the whole trial. God bless him, and I'm sorry for his loss. Sir, you're always in my prayers. We have all heard about the women in my life in this courtroom, and I'm not here to dispute any evidence in this case. There are two sides to a coin. There's a head side and a tail. I'll leave it at that. I would like to say I'm sorry to them. So for the record, I'm sorry for messing up your lives, terrorizing you. Whatever the case may be, each one of them holds their own. So, uh, I don't even know what to say about that, but, you know, that is how a sociopath's mind works. We're just going to say that. And uh, I am not a licensed therapist, so I don't know, but from what I have heard in this case, he definitely was a sociopath. Okay, so, on November 3rd, 2016, eight years after the murders, a Superior Court judge rejected, thankfully, Wright's latest appeal from his sentence of life in prison. The judge ruled that Wright's request for relief for both procedural, procedurally barred and without merit. Wright, who has filed several petitions unsuccessfully, uh, unsuccessful appeals, raised several arguments in its latest petition, including the effective assistance of counsel, prosecution, misconduct, and violation of his right to a speedy trial. Wright remains in jail for the rest of his life after his death sentence was overturned to a life in prison sentence. We hope that Wright will never leave jail. So, my final thoughts here. Domestic, domestic violence is crippling emotionally and physically to any victim. Sadly, even now, in 2021, the perpetrator has, be, has more rights than the victim. We just this week, sadly, had a similar crime like this case in Smyrna, Delaware. A wonderful mother, Stephanie Gill, and her devoted, young, happily married friend, Dina Dalton, were killed by a disgruntled, dangerous husband of Stephanie's, Lou Gill, outside of their child's middle school. And then he killed himself. Lou had thrown Stephanie downstairs, down the stairs and tried to strangle her unsuccessfully back in February 2021. But after he was bailed out in order, in order to stay away from his wife, he found a way to get to her, sadly, and killed her friend also, 
as well as killing himself. Another senseless murder that could have been avoided. And it just, I just have to stop for a minute because I'm, I have emotional. I, I just feel like there has to be change with our justice system. And I'm going to say it, the family court. In our country and here in Delaware. Too many cases like this keep happening. Where the victim gets more rights than the um, perpetrator. Or I mean the victim. Yeah, the perpetrator. And uh, that can't be done anymore. It, You know, it's just, why does the victim have no rights? The victim that was killed, they can't be here to defend themselves. So why is it that somebody kills somebody in a domestic violence case or even rapes somebody? And then they are, they don't get any rights, the victims. And then they do all these things that could, that overload the justice system, these cases that are not, you know, not even important. So I'm just asking you to, if you have any um, merit in this, in changing the laws, um, changing the court system, you know, right to your, to your the politicians or, you know, do what you can to change the courts, because I believe even in, in this state, especially the, the family courts and the, even the superior courts are so messed up. And um, it's all about the perpetrator and the criminal and not the uh, victim. That has to change. I mean, it's 2021 and that has not changed. And people fight over politicians when they haven't done anything. And I don't mean to say that. I'm not going to get into politics. So um, with that being said, I would like to say to you, um, to anybody that's experiencing domestic violence, if you or anyone you know is experiencing domestic violence, I urge you to call the Domestic Violence Hotline at one 800 799-7233. That's 1-800-799-7233. And it's open 24 hours. So once again, if you know anyone who is experiencing domestic violence or or you yourself are experiencing, I urge you to call them. Next week in episode six, we'll be covering the unsolved murder of Peter DeSabatino in 2012. Another University Delaware student murdered in the same apartment complex as Lindsay Bonestell. You know, I had that case in episode four, but it was caught by that time in 2012, they went by a different name, I guess, because of the Lindsay Bonestell case. Um, and it was called the Studio Green Apartments. And this is an unsolved case. Uh, you know, this this was a young, handsome, good-looking, wonderful, um, well-behaved individual. You know, he might have had some little flaws here and there, but he was just a wonderful kid. He had his whole life ahead of him. He was smart, 
close with his family, close with his sister. I mean, he just, what I read on about this kid, this kid was amazing. Um, and I actually have some, a member of my family who we've been about the same age as him. He's older now, but he, he was going to U.A.D. in 2012, so he could have been him. So anyway, so I do feel um, that this is this is a case that needs to be solved. It happened in 2012, and uh, he was just a young man, you know, 20, I think he was. So please tune in for episode six, the Studio Green murder, the murder of a wonderful, young, brilliant man. So that's Studio Green, the murder of a wonderful, brilliant young man. On Monday, May 10th, 2021. So please tune in for that. And um, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. There's a lot of information and I try to get all of it in there. It seems like every week I have more and more information I get about these cases and I try to keep them shorter, but it's just so much information I get from these cases. And I want to thank, you know, um, I had a, I got some information from the courthouse, um, from the, the superior court. I got some information from Delaware online. And so I do thank them for that information. Um, thank you, but I want to thank you for listening and keep safe, keep safe people. Always check your surroundings and have a spectacular week. For clips and photos of any of the cases I have covered, please check my Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash Delaware Crime 21. And that's spelled D-E-L-A-W-H-E-R-E capital C. R-I-M-E 21. So that's www.facebook.com slash Delaware, D-E-L-A-W-H-E-R-E, capital C, R-I-M-E 21. And the D is capital too, by the way. So check that out. And I will have uh, photos and clips and everything posted. Uh, Most of the stuff that I have posted that I have, you know, talked about on here and maybe a few clips I posted on this during this podcast. So I hope you have a wonderful week and thank you again for listening. Delaware Crime is an audio Francis production. What do you think, Francis? Okay, mom.